love that song, It Is Well With My Soul. It's a great message in there, a great reminder. The phrase, it is well, really is uh, a lot to that song. And many of you know the story behind the hymn. Uh, but the phrase, it is well, is found in our scriptures. There was a, Bible calls her a great woman who did not have children. She was married. Her and her husband never had children. And they provided lodging for the prophet Elisha. They built a house on it. If you ever go to a church and they have what they call a prophet's chamber, which is an apartment for visiting preachers, it comes from the great woman in the scripture who built a small apartment at her home so when Elisha passed through the neighborhood he would have a place to stay. And, uh, and for return for his, her kindness, he asked her what she needed in life. And she said, we don't need anything. He said, I noticed there's no children around here. And she said, no, we don't have any children. He said, well, this time, by next year, you'll, you'll have a son. And according to the word of the prophecy of the preacher, she gave birth to a son, and, and God blessed her. Well, years later, they were working in the fields, and that boy suddenly grabbed his head and cried out and passed and died. They took him from the field, carried him back to his mother, and she ran to the, get word to the preacher to let him know that her son had passed away. And finally, Elisha came to the house, and with her son upstairs, dead on the bed, he asked her, is, is everything well? And her response was, it is well. Now, you think about that for a minute. You think about that. Next time you've got problems, you think about that. And Elisha went up and he raised that boy up from the bed and, and brought him back to life. And then you sing that song this morning, you think of Mr. Spafford, whom his family lost everything in the great Chicago fire. They were from England and they lost everything and decided to go back to England and start fresh there. And they caught a ship out of New York and he got delayed because of business engagements. He told his wife to go on ahead, so she went on the ship with the four daughters and there was an accident at sea off the coast of England and the ship carrying his wife and four girls went down in that early morning fog. She wired her husband and simply said, saved alone. Their daughters had perished. And Mr. Spatford got the next ship, sailed over there and he told the captain, he said, when we get to the spot where the ship went down, will you please notify me? And in the morning, the captain woke him up and said, we're approaching the spot where the ship went down. And as he stood on the rails and he looked at the waves and, and, uh, and thought about this is the spot where his girls had perished, he watched the waters. And the song talks about as when sorrows like sea billows roll, is what inspired him. And, and, uh, and he goes on in that song not to talk about his problems, not to talk about his heartache, but the song goes on to glorify Jesus Christ and all that Christ had done for him and the salvation that he has in Jesus Christ. And Mr. Spatford and his wife could write, it is well with our soul. And so although Satan may buffet and trials come, we rest in the blessed assurance that Almighty God is still in control and we can say it is well with our soul. Amen? I would like you to take your Bibles this morning and find John's Gospel, chapter number 18. John's Gospel, chapter number 18. 
and find that place, if you will, this morning. Actually, I'm sorry, just skip one chapter. Go over chapter 19. Chapter, chapter number 19. As we have been going through scripture, we have been looking at the sevens found in the Gospel of John. The number seven is a prominent uh, theme in this book. There are seven I am's. There are seven recorded miracles. There are seven witnesses. There are seven conversations that our Lord had with uh, different women. And uh, we're finding there are only seven disciples mentioned by name in this gospel. And then there are seven men that are mentioned by name in this gospel. We have gone through many of them. We have looked at them in order from John the Baptist and then Nicodemus to uh, Lazarus to uh, Caiaphas and Annas. And then last week Pontius Pilate to where we come to today to the uh, man that is mentioned by name. And uh, he is mentioned in all four gospels. He's always mentioned in connection with the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord. This is where we find this man. He plays a very prominent role. In fact, if you go to Israel today, you can visit a piece of his property, which he once owned. At least they tell us that's the spot where we believe it, although we're not 100%, but they're pretty much 99% sure this would be the exact spot, and that would be the tomb, the empty tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ, which once belonged to a rich man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. And Joseph of Arimathea is mentioned in our scriptures, and again, one of the only of the seven men that are mentioned by name. And we find this in John chapter number 19 and verse number 38. And this, after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly... For fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus. There came also Nicodemus, which at first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, a hundred pound weight. Then they took the body of Jesus and wound it in a linen cloth with the spices that the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in this place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulchre wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. Father, bless the time and the hour now. We must uh, preach your word. We need the power of the Spirit of God to speak and move in hearts and lives here today. Help me to say only that which must be said. You know every individual, you know every heart, what everyone's going through. And I'd ask Spirit of God, our blessed friend within, that you would say in hearts what we can only say in ears, and that Christians would be encouraged and challenged, the lost would be convicted and brought to salvation. Help those who are discouraged, hurting, fearful, and worry. And Lord, help them to understand that you are almighty God, and Lord, you are always nearby. For Lord, you dwell within, and have promised never to leave us nor forsake us. I bless this time and hour now and bless all those children downstairs and next door. And Lord, put within the heart of every single one of us a desire to serve Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, who is Joseph of Arimathea? Well, 
There are three famous Josephs in our Bible. There is Joseph, as we think of Joseph back in the Old Testament, the son of Jacob, the, the son uh, with a coat of many colors who was sold into slavery, who delivered and saved the world from starvation during that great famine that took place. There is Joseph, the father of, uh, or the mother, I should, yeah, I'll get it right. Joseph, the husband of Mary, who uh, adopted really the Lord Jesus Christ and raised him. And then there is this Joseph of Arimathea. And all three men are very important. They all play a role in Scripture. As we look this morning at Joseph of Arimathea, first of all, we may say, well, where exactly is Arimathea? And uh, I'll give you the best educated answer that everybody can come up with. And it's, well, we really don't know. There's a lot of great guesses of where Arimathea may be, but nobody is 100% on where exactly that location is. But no matter, and cities, by the way, disappear, dis go, disappear from history. They, just how it is. Uh, for one reason or another, villages and cities have come and gone. My goal is to go out west one day and visit a ghost town. I don't know why, but that just fascinates me to see a ghost town. I saw one on the Brady Bunch when I was a kid, and I've desi desired to see one ever since. Can a brother get an amen on that one? <laughs> I just hope I don't get locked in jail like they did. But understand that we, uh, they, they have ghost towns out west, just deserted. The silver's dried up, and so the citizens left the town, and they left those buildings to sit there and rot, and they still sit there to this day out there in the middle of those Arizona deserts. Well, my friend, Arimathea is no longer there, but, and Joseph is gone, but his, his name God records for us. And I want us to look at a few things about this man, lay a case out, and present this man to us this morning. I'd like you to take your Bible and find Matthew chapter number 27. We're going to go very quickly through these. Matthew chapter number 27. Matthew chapter number 27. Again, look at some of the things the Bible has to say about this man. And if God records something about us, I think it must be important. And the fact that God puts his name in all four Gospels tells us something that this man must be important. And God's trying to teach us something about who this man is. It says in Matthew 27 and verse 57, When the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also was Jesus' disciple. Here in this portion of scripture, we see this man, Joseph of Arimathea, and the Bible makes it very plain and clear that he was a rich man. Now, oftentimes when we think of rich men, we may have a bad thought in our head because Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want us to be very careful. The scripture is not condemning rich people. It's simply saying because of their riches and, and lack of uh, and having no needs or, or that they absolutely can go buy something whenever they want it, except health, they may not see their need for Christ. But there are plenty of rich, godly people in your Bible. And God uses a lot of rich, godly people even today. I've been blessed to know a few godly people who God has blessed with wealth. I want you to know I am not one of them people. God blessed me with looks and not money. That's just how it works <laughs> in, in my department. But understand, uh, so I've known many people. In fact, I know a man with, with money, and uh, he found out they were taking Evan to Pensacola, and he says, oh, you, you're staying down there? I said, yes, we're staying down there. He's where? I said, well, my wife got a hotel somewhere. We're going to spend a few days down there. He says, he says I'm going to tell you what. He goes, well, I have timeshares down there. You can stay in my timeshare for free. And he says, go online and pick out which one you like. And so for three days and three nights, my wife and I will be 
everybody will think we have money as we walk around in this expensive area. And I told my wife, don't, don't embarrass me. Make sure you, you have your pinkies out when we're eating there, when we're eating our slice of pizza, amen? And uh, so understand, I'm thankful for that and, and for people who generous like that. And again, I've known rich people who've blessed us and people have sent us just church finances to help us with certain things. Hey, heard you got a need. Thank God for it. So rich people are not bad, but we do have bad rich people in the Bible. We've got good rich people in the Bible. And God, here in the scripture, makes it plain and clear that Joseph was a rich man. Look, if you will, at Mark chapter number 15. Mark's gospel chapter number 15. Mark chapter number 15, we see something here about the scriptures. And uh, again about Joseph, Mark ch chapter 15. The Bible says in verse number 43, 1543, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in, in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. I want you to remember this verse. We're not coming back to it, so it's important that you remember it. The Bible says here about this man, Joseph, that he was an honorable man. And that's a good thing to say about a man. It would be a wonderful thing for that to be said about all of us, that we are honorable. That means that we keep our word. We're men of our words. We're honest people. We're, we're decent people. We do the right thing all the time. And Joseph was an honorable counselor. And we find out later on that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. And a Sanhedrin was a governing, uh, like a, a court of law. There were 71 members of this. So it was a prestigious body, almost very similar to what we may have with the Supreme Court, although there's only nine of them on that court. But there were 71 men on this Sanhedrin, and there were some good men, there were some bad men. Joseph was a good man on this court. And if Joseph heard your case, you knew that, again, with Joseph, you would get a fair hearing and things would, and he would get, you would be treated by the letter of the law, you could not purchase this man. You could not bribe him. You could not pay him off like so many back then and even in today in our time. So Joseph here we see in Scripture was an honorable man who was waiting for the kingdom of God. He was a, 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 a devoutly, uh, I, don't, I hate using the word religious, but he was a man who believed the Bible and was waiting and knew that, 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 that the Messiah was coming. And, and he believed the Messiah was coming. So he was a devoutly Jewish man who held to his faith. And, and, and by doing so, it kept him honest and it kept him right. And he did a lot of good things. And, he, and when Jesus died, it was him that went. And he says he craved the body of Jesus. Isn't that an interesting word, crave? We think of the word crave. We think, you know, I'm, 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 I'm we're craving some piece of food or something. You know, I, I'm, really, I'm really craving a hot dog right now. I'm, I'm really could crave a, a hamburger. I watched an episode one on TV of the life history of, of Dave Thomas, the founder of Wendy's. When that was done, amen, I was in my car going down the driveway <laughs> and heading to Wendy's, amen. I, I, the son of Baconator was calling my name. I was craving one of them hamburgers. I said, I can't watch these things anymore. I just, it's no good. And, and, and you have to throw a frosty, a, a small frosty. Not a large, just a small, because I'm, 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 not, I'm not that way. Now, we crave. The crave means that he, he desired this body. He wanted the body. He just didn't want it thrown anywhere. But it was his desire, and we'll learn why, that he had to have the body of Christ to make sure that it was anointed properly and that it could be buried properly. You're just not going to take him and treat him like these criminals and, and toss him off somewhere. No, this, this is, it, we want this body. Look, if you will, Luke chapter number 23. Luke's gospel, chapter number 23. 
We see something else about this man, who he was, and what the Bible has to say about him. Something else. So he was a... Luke 23, 50, And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and just. So again, again, God kind of telling us the same thing. All these things. And, I, I, and if we go to John, chapter number 19, where we started. John, chapter number 19, and we see what God has to say. So he was a counselor. He was a senator, a, a member of the Sanhedrin. He was highly educated. He was highly esteemed. He was well-liked. He was very responsible. He was capable of leadership. He was of good quality. He was high morals. He was of good feelings. He was of compassion. He was of justice. He was of decision. He was of truth. He was of the law. But I want you to notice what God tells us here about him. 1938, and after this, Joseph Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus, but what? But secretly for fear of the Jews. With all those qualifications, and I say this respectfully, and we'll work on this as we go through the message, he had all these qualifications, but what God points out is that Joseph was also a coward. Joseph was a coward. He was a secret disciple for fear of the Jews. Now, I mean, why was he a secret disciple? What would cause this man, of all this influence, of all this power, of all this wealth, of all this esteem, of all this high character, but God draws our attention here to this phrase about him that he was a secret disciple. And my friend, to be a secret disciple simply means that you don't tell anybody that you are a believer. You have told nobody that you have faith in Christ. You have told nobody that you believe Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of Bible prophecy and that he is the real live Jewish Messiah. You've kept that to yourself. And my friend, that's a secret that is not worth keeping. We've all been told secrets. Don't tell nobody. And most of us can't wait till we see the next person. And listen, I, I was told this in secret, but uh, I can tell you. And, uh, you know... Forgive me, the old expression when I was a kid, telephone, telegraph, tell a woman. And, and, and listen, it might as well be telephone, telegraph, tell anybody, because it's going to get out, especially today. I won't say nothing, but I'll type it. And, and off we go, uh, spewing something secret. Now, again, most secrets really are not meant to be kept. They're really, but some are. We should keep our mouths quiet. Every pastor goes to his grave with 10,000 secrets that he knows that nobody else knows, that he knows about somebody, and he just keeps it to himself, and, and, and he just goes, that's how it is. We've kept our word, and we don't know anybody know. It's between us, God, and the Lord, and that person. Now, why would he be a secret disciple? Again, there's a lot of things we can hide and keep secret and still be of value. But my friend, being a Christian and, being, and keeping it a secret is of no value whatsoever. Because Christianity was meant to be spread. It was meant to tell. Well, why would he? Well, first of all, there could be loss of position. If he says because of the Jews, if the Jews found out, he could be kicked off the Sanhedrin. Being kicked off the Sanhedrin would cost him a great deal of the money he was getting from that position. Again, every job in life usually has its pay rankings. And the better the job, the more money you make in life. That's not always the case. I know people who, 
who do nothing for a living and make boatloads of money, and uh, most of our politicians, by the way. But uh, we have a lot of people, and, and generally, the, the smarter you are, the, or, or, or more your job influences others, the more money you will make. And that's how it generally works, and it should work. I can really go off on a tangent here because I'm really fighting it, but I'm not. So loss of money, loss of money, loss of position, loss of money. There's also loss of status. You were a Jewish man, now you're a believer in Jesus Christ who was crucified. Remember, to have a crucified man was a, was a, a death that was suffered by criminals. And so you believe Jesus, who died a criminal's death, is actually the Messiah? And, 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 and how, how can you even think that? What's wrong with you? And how unintelligent is that? And they would have mocked him for that. So there's loss of position, loss of money, loss of status. And my friend, we learn later on that it also could be the loss of life. I mean, they killed Stephen. They're going to kill a bunch of other people. <laughs> All the disciples are going to lose their lives for the most part. And others are going to lose their lives. It's, killing Christians was a popular thing back in Roman days. And by the way, it's very popular in our world today. There is a holocaust going on in the country of Nigeria that the media doesn't talk about but they're slaughtering them wholesale over there. And Christians are still losing their lives all around this globe in many places. You ought to thank God. You ought to thank God every day that you wake up in the United States of America where you have the freedom to walk out on the street. And I walked down Davis Avenue carrying my Bible. Got a few people staring at me, but I carried my Bible from my house down here to the church because we didn't have, all the cars were gone, and, 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 and so I just had to use my feet again, amen? And so I walked down here carrying my Bible. I'm not ashamed to carry my Bible. I'm not worried about it. No one's going to come grab me, shoot me, or ask me questions that may endanger my life. Thank God you live here. Because many places around this globe, you do that publicly, you risk your life. And Joseph, in these day and time, and in the climate that's about to get even worse, in the next hundred years or so, could have cost him his life. So we see here that he was a disciple. Why was he a secret disciple? Because probably for those reasons. And Joseph is sitting there and he's watching the crucifixion. He's watching all these things and inside a battle rages. My friend, if you're saved and you're not doing right, a battle is going to rage within you. The Holy Spirit of God and, and, and your guilty conscience are going to work on you to get you to do right. Now, my friend, a secret Christian is of no value. It is a truth that the American spy network during the American Revolution did a great deal to help us win that war. Without that spy network that Washington put in place and had key people uh, doing that network, we may not have ever got the information we got, which helped us to enable to defeat the British. Which, by the way, when you look at that war, you see God all over that thing. But the spy network was there, which is based out of Long Island. It's a fascinating history. One of the first spies, as they were trying to establish it, uh, ended up losing his life in Lower Manhattan, who ended up uttering the famous phrase, I regret that I have but one life to give for my country, the famous Nathan Hale. Again, the first attempt, and it was a fumbling attempt, but that great, that Christian school teacher from Connecticut entered the spy trade and ended up losing his life. Now, my friend, a spy is important during war times, but Christianity does not need a spy network. 
We've been told to be bold. We've been told to open our mouths. We've been told to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And I realize there are places, and I've, I'm reading books about men in parts around this world, and they have to be careful how they do it. And, and in certain Muslim-controlled countries, it's very dangerous, and they have to do it secretly. And in other communist countries, they have to be careful on how they do this. And, and there's wisdom in, in doing that. You don't need to walk on the street and scream at some government official, I'm a Christian, come get me, because they will. <laughs> you can witness for Christ and, and go about it in a way. But we don't, we're not secrets about this. We're not spies. Look, if you will, at Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew's gospel chapter number 5. What the scripture tells us about us and what we are to be. In Matthew's gospel chapter number 5, the Lord Jesus Christ preaching in the great sermon here. The sermon on which men get sermons from. <laughs> Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can preach a sermon, and then we get a million sermons from it. That's still not hit bottom. Verse 13, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth therefore good for nothing to be, but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Now, my friend, salt has two purposes, especially during this time and place in the history of the world. Because of the lack of refrigeration, salt was used to preserve food, especially meat, which could quickly spoil in this desert and dry area. My friend, believers in Christ are preservatives to this world. We are preserving it from evil. Without Christians, without the church, without vocal Christians, just think how corrupt this world would be. We are the ones speaking out against our kids being destroyed by the sodomite movement and the perversion in our public school systems and the, and the libraries by, the, by the, the transgender crowd and the, whatever those crowds are speaking to our children. We're the ones speaking out and we're told we're the problem. No, we are the preservatives. We are the ones preserving and trying to keep evil from corrupting and taking these things over. We are the salt and the only way we can be that preserved is if the salt does what salt's supposed to do. In our case, it's to speak out and say, that's evil. That's wrong. That's not right. That's not going to happen here. They were going to open a shop on Carney Ave, a pornographic shop on Carney Avenue. I said, we ain't going to have that on Carney Avenue. And we went to the mayor's office and told the mayor, what's this? Oh, we got laws against that. Well, you better get down there and make sure it doesn't open. There's laws against those things. We don't need that garbage here in our town. It's bad enough the garbage we have. They, bad enough they had those smoke shops where they sell that uh, horrible vaping equipment and they boast about it calling Sin City, which is only 100 yards from the school. It's, it's wicked. Nobody should be doing that nonsense. We're salt. We're to be preserved. But then salt was also used as a flavor enhancer. When I was a kid, I was a saltaholic. Right? If there is such a thing. You know, you know, French fries... You got to you sing Christmas songs. It's snowing, you know. It's like you know, you know. It's just and 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 then when the salt bounces off you, then you put some ketchup, or if you're really right with God, you put some vinegar on there, and then and this way the the, the vinegar catches the salt. Amen. Can I get a brother? And then you and then you take that and you like scrape it in the salt that's on the plate and. And then eat it. That's how I roll. They've been, I'm well preserved. I'm going to live to 900 
from all that. I'm getting older now, and my, my heart every now and does stuff. It's like, you know, maybe I ought to calm down, you know. It's, my heart's like, time out there, Swikowski. We ain't, we, ain't, we ain't 15 no more. And we're not. My brain thinks I'm 15. My body thinks I'm an idiot, but that's another story. Now, so salt acts as a flavor enhancer. In the same way salt enhances the flavor of food, it seasons the followers of Christ are to stand out as those who enhance the flavor of life in this world, my friend. If a city is going to be a good city, what's it usually have? It has a church and good Christians in it. You remove a church, you remove Christians from a city, what do you have? You've got Las Vegas, which they brag about. What do they call that city? It's two words. Sin City. It was built for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was for sinning. There are Christians going in there, and there's churches in that city now, but it was built in the middle of the desert just so people in California can drive out there and sin legally. And it is a wicked place, by the way. You can go out there and visit the beauty around the city, but the city itself holds nothing for the child of God. Christians living under the Holy Spirit and obedience to Christ will inevitably influence the world for good. We will, and we're always told, by the way, we're the problems. No, we're the, we're the ones who are the reason this place is as good as it possibly is right now is because there's Christian influence on here standing up and opposing the evil things. When there's strife, there will always be a peacemaker. Where there's a sorrow, there's always somebody to minister Christ. And, and there's always somebody to bind up the wounds. Where there's hatred, there's an exemplifier of the love of Christ and, and returning uh, good for evil. So there's always this Christian influence in the world and, and doing what is right. And so Christ tells us that we are to be the salt of the earth. But he also goes on in verse number 14 where he says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. The presence of Christian in this world must be like light in the darkness. Not only in the sense that the truth of God's word brings light to the darkened hearts of sinful men, and that's what it does, by the way. We take men who are lost in darkness and we bring the light of Christ to them. And that light shines in and they see it. And they understand it and they come to faith in Christ. But also in the sense that our good deeds must be evident for all to see. Men must see our good deeds. And indeed our deeds will be evident if they're performed in according with the principles that Jesus mentions in this passage, which we don't have time for. So again, as, as Christians, we are to glorify God. We are to be a light. We've all seen cities or a house that you cannot see during the day, but have that house on a hillside in, in a wooded area at night, and they, and they put their light signs. and say, hey, there's a house way up there. I wonder how they get up there. Where's the road to that place? And I wonder what it likes to, to live on that hillside and look at the valley and have that view every day when you wake up. And, but you saw it because the lights were up there. And my friend, no matter how small a light, you will always see that light. It's amazing. Light goes out and it shines. And, and we can see it. And my friend, we are to be lights. Jesus said, you don't take a light and you put it under a bushel. There are some things that when they are, don't work, they are absolutely useless. Absolutely useless. A flashlight that does not work is absolutely useless. You take it, oh man, the batteries are dead. And if you grew up in my, with my children, you always had dead flashlights. My kids know this is my one thing. This is the one that pushed dad over the edge. I can buy them 10,000 toys. There they are at the... Just buying flashlights. 
because this is, this is all they want, cardboard boxes and flashlights. And, so, and when I need the flashlight, click, it's, it, it's dead. And then you don't have the batteries. You got the D batteries, but this one takes C. Or you got the C batteries, but this thing takes triple A's, and you never have those batteries. And if you're really old, you remember going to the hardware store to buy a light bulb. I need a light bulb for my flashlight. And <laughs> now they just chuck the thing out. But a flashlight, my friend, that does not work is of no value whatsoever. No value. And a Christian who will not shine for Christ is of no value whatsoever. You do absolutely no good. Boy, it's dark out. Wish we had, I got a flesh. You got one? Well, where is it? Oh, it's home. <laughs> Why did you even mention that? <laughs> yeah, we all, they got flashlights at Home Depot, but that's five miles away from here. You know, we need one now. This is when we need the flashlight now. And every flashlight I ever had that they decided they wanted to break when I needed them most. So if we go back to John chapter number 19 again, we see again with Joseph of Marathia, and I must hurry here. He's asking for the body of Jesus. He's asking for the body of Jesus. Up to this point in time, he's been afraid to say anything about him being a disciple. He's been afraid to tell anybody that he's a believer. He's been afraid to tell anybody that he's been studying and listening to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we learn from this scripture is that Nicodemus, by this point in time, has already come to faith. Nicodemus we met on our second message, and Nicodemus did not get saved in John chapter number 3. We met him again, I think it's chapter number 6, and there Nicodemus is still not saved. And when we come to chapter number 19, we find that somewhere along the line, somewhere between chapter 6 and chapter number 19, Nicodemus has come to faith and believed that Christ is the Messiah, and he believes upon him. But again, another man who is keeping it to himself and not saying anything for the same exact reasons. Finally, he, when Jesus dies, they says they, they crave the body of Jesus, and here they, they want the body of Jesus. What gave them boldness? What brought Nicodemus and what brought Joseph out of the shadows to where they can publicly say, hey, we want the body of Jesus. No doubt when they asked for that body of Jesus, everybody that they knew... Who, who was responsible for killing Jesus will say, well, why do you want his body? What are you going to do with that? And that, my friend, is when the proverbial rubber is going to meet the road. And you're going to have to say something. And you're going to say, well, it's either he, he would like to give him a nice burial or we believe he's the Messiah. And that, my friend, is when it's all going to break loose. That's when something is going to happen. And no doubt these men are going to lose a lot of things. But my friend, Jesus said it's better for a man to, to lose this world and, and to gain his own soul. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his very soul? What have you gained? You look at these people today scrambling and, and, and taking and taking and taking and it's never enough. Uh, more millions upon more millions upon billions upon billions and they get all this money and you look at them. Dude, you're getting older and you will die. And you're going to die, and you will have nothing. You don't take it with you. But there they are, scrambling for it all. The small, what made him come out? Well, in, in, and by the way, when we read Scripture, who was at the cross? In John chapter 19, verse 25, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus' his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. 
When Jesus therefore saw his mother and his disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. So here we have the crowd at the cross. Who's there? Mary, his mother. Mary, the wife of Cleophas. Mary Magdalene. And then John, the disciple. None of the other disciples are there. Judas is now dead. Peter is, has ran off until the last time we saw him. He was running into the night crying. And the rest of them were all scattered. The only one at the cross is John. I think it's something interesting that John was a godly man. He was a, a man who loved people, a very patient man. We get this from his writings from 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Truly a, a, a compassionate man. But John, there's one thing that bothered John. There's one thing John had little patience for. And what you say, what is that? He had little patience for cowards. That's where John said, you know what? We've got problems here. Because John was at the cross. Nobody else was there, but John was there. We can say, there's not much bad we can ever say about John, but John was a bold man. John was a man who was not afraid to say, I believe I'm here at the cross. Nobody else is here. The only ones here are the ones who want to kill him. There's Joseph and Nicodemus over there, but they've got their mouths quiet. They're not saying anything. Look, if you will, at John chapter number 12. We get this from John a little bit more about his, his uh, disdain for people who won't speak out. In John chapter 12 and verse number 42, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees they did not confess, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Who's he speaking about, by the way? <laughs> Probably Joseph and Nicodemus. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. John's letting you know what he thought about those guys. Hey, hey John, we're believers too, but don't tell nobody because we, we can get put out of the synagogue. Huh, really? I really got no use for you guys. No use. I've stuck my neck out. I've lost everything. I, 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 I've lost everything, but I found Christ. I don't think you under, folks understand what it means to have Christ. I don't think you fully comprehend that. John, again, and, and it's John and John's gospel as, as opposed to the other three gospels that let us know that Joseph was a disciple, but what? Secretly. John's letting us know here what he thinks. Joseph of Arimathea comes out and lets everybody know he's a, he's a Christian. Nicodemus comes out. My friend, what made the difference in these men's life? My friend, the cross of Jesus Christ always makes the difference. When a man and a woman get around the cross of Christ, they make decisions. They'll make decisions to either believe upon Christ or to reject Christ. And when they accept Christ, they have no this choice but to say, you know what, I believe upon the crucified one. If my Savior was uh, willing and bold enough to go to Calvary's cross and die there for me and all that shame and all his nakedness, I am not ashamed to identify with my Savior. Calvary will always give a man boldness. And we ought to pray as they prayed in the book of Acts, Lord, give us boldness. And I've often prayed that prayer. When I was a young man, I prayed, Lord, uh, you know who I am. I'm not a brave man, but Lord, give me boldness that I may uh, always be able to speak your word, never cower in shame, but to let everybody know uh, who I am and, and why I believe it. My friend Nicodemus and Joseph of Arathea got boldness that day. When we meet Christ, they become 
bold. The coward becomes bold. We see this with Peter. Peter, my friend, just a few hours ago was standing there by the fire saying, I don't know him. And then a week later, where do we see Peter? We see him preaching in the town square, preaching Jesus Christ, whom ye crucified. What made the difference in Peter's life to go from coward to bold preacher? It was the cross of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit of God, my friend. That changed his life. And Joseph of Arimathea, although Scripture tells us who he once was, and you may find yourself there in that place with Joseph, the man who was a secret disciple, but Joseph no longer was a secret disciple. He decided to come out the day he took the body of Christ, anointed it, and placed it in his very own sepulcher. He didn't understand the resurrection. He didn't know that Jesus was coming out in three days. He didn't fully comprehend all that. All he knew, hey, I'm taking Jesus because I believe in him, and he's going in my tomb. And you can go there, like I said, and you can visit Joseph's tomb. It's empty, forever empty. Muhammad's tomb has got somebody in it wherever he's buried. Buddha's got somebody in there, and Joseph Smith, and Brigham Young, and, and Charles Taz Russell, and Mary Baker, Glover, Patterson, Eddie. They're, they're all in there. Only one tomb's empty, my friend. It's Jesus Christ. And the, and, and the fact that the tomb's empty gives me the boldness and the courage to speak up. Because my Savior's alive, my Savior said, I'll never leave thee, nor forsake thee. I'm always with thee. And yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. My friend, when we have God, we have nothing to fear. When we have the Lord, we have nothing. There's nothing this world can take away from us that God has not promised us on the other side. Don't look to this world. It's falling apart and it's falling apart real fast. There's Joseph in a nutshell. Great qualifications, great man, but God lets us know that he was once a secret disciple. Don't be a secret disciple. Be a bold disciple who speaks up and proclaims the name of Christ appropriately, compassionately, with love that we may win others to Jesus Christ. Let's stand together for prayer. Father, we do thank you for your goodness and mercy. We thank you for Jesus. And Lord, even a man like Joseph, he encourages all of us. And Lord, all of us, whether we want to admit it or not, have all had those cowardly moments, those moments where we thought it best to keep our mouths quiet and not say anything. Lord, help us be ever so bold and brave to never keep our mouths quiet when the name of Christ must be brought up and it must be brought up loudly and boldly with confidence to a lost and dying world. Bless this time and this hour now, we pray in Jesus' name.